presented by the Apostle Paul in the first 11 verses of this chapter. What I would like to do is read on now from verse 12 down through verse 20. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we, have, uh, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Father, we pray that you would take this portion of your word and lighten the eyes of our understanding. I pray, Father, that we would be greatly encouraged by the truths that you reveal and, Father, by refreshing our minds to that which you have in store for those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We pray that this would be a, a time of blessing for you, that you would be pleased, and that everything we do this day would honor and glorify your name. Thank you, Father, for meeting with us and for what you intend to do through your word in Jesus' name, amen. Some time ago, um, some friends of mine from Pennsylvania came down to visit. And uh, they asked if I would meet them for dinner. And so uh, I had a chance to meet these guys. And I actually got to the restaurant before they did. So I was sitting in a location where I could actually watch outside and see as they arrived. Well, while I was sitting there, this car of, uh, of three men arrived. And I watched them get out of the car. And I just thought to myself, boy... Those, those guys really look old. And then I realized it was my friends. I hadn't seen them in years. And they had turned gray. And they were wrinkly. They were walking with a very slow gait. Actually, even a little bit feeble looking. Yesterday... A cousin of mine, who I haven't seen in probably 15 years, came here to visit, and when I first saw him and his wife, I thought to myself, boy, they have aged. Their hair has turned white. They have wrinkled faces. He wasn't quite as stout as he had been. He had been a concrete worker, and so pretty strong guy. And I'm looking, and I'm thinking... old bodies are really starting to waste away, aren't they? And some of you who are young, this isn't really anything that you would be thinking about yet, but, but your day will come and the time will occur. I'm not trying to discourage you or anything, but, but you are moving towards death. I want you to know that. <laughs> and we all are. The, the reality Apostle Paul was facing a group of people who had a lot of problems. 
And the church at Corinth, we've already looked at some of them, had some very difficult problems. They, they were divisive. They, they, in some cases, they were drunks and gluttons. In, in one particular case, they were immoral. And there were all sorts of problems that the apostle was addressing. And now we come to another one. There were those who were teaching that the resurrection was not true. If you'll recall, during the lifetime of, of Jesus himself, there were interactions that he had with a group of people known as the Sadducees. We will often talk about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. Those were different groups of individuals. The Herodians, those were ones who had kind of shifted over to the Roman way of thinking. But the Pharisees would have been more of the conservative spiritual and religious element within the country. The Sadducees would have been the liberals. They would have been way, way to the left. And in their realm of belief, they did not believe in spirit beings. In other words, they would have denied the reality of the angelic creation. They would have denied the reality of demonic uh, beings. They also denied that there would be a resurrection. And they taught a, a, a theory that said this. When you're dead, you're dead. You go out of existence. And that's all there is. Well, today, that seems to be the popular way to think about things. When you're dead, you're dead. It's all over. Don't give any thought to anything beyond this life because this is it. And so make the most of life right here and now because when this is it, that's over. And there are those that would take it a step further and say, yes, we, we do believe that there is going to be life after death, but people that don't know Christ as Savior will be annihilated. And you've probably heard of the, the theory of annihilation. In other words, you, you aren't really going to be eternally tormented because of your failure to accept Christ as your Savior. Instead, you're going to go out of existence. Jehovah's Witness hold that view. Seventh-day Adventists hold that view. And they believe in this doctrine called annihilation. There are Eastern mystics who would teach a doctrine of reincarnation, that there's not a, a resurrection, but you come back in some other form. And at one point in time, you were a lower form of life, and as you progress, you, you develop into higher and higher forms of life. Then there's the New Age people who believe in a thing that, I guess the best way to describe it is like a cosmic meld. We become part of the cosmos. Our, our spirit becomes part of this entity of create well they don't even use the word creation of existence and somehow we find i don't know what we find there don't worry about it because it's not true what paul said was this there is going to be a resurrection and it all is based upon the resurrection of jesus christ and our identification with him will determine what part of the resurrection we will participate in. And so he gives us an argument kind of from a negative side, but he begins the argument to settle our minds and to settle our thinking to this reality. When we die, it's not the end even of our bodies. Bodies that have been burned, bodies that have been devoured by wild beasts, somehow God is going to take part of that physical body, whether it's an atom of that body, whether it's 
who knows? He is going to recreate a completely new body and you can rest in this assurance. We are going to be resurrected from the dead. And we're going to be resurrected to life if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. He tells us that as we look at this portion of the word. And would you look back with me again at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at verse 12. And here is where we can be absolutely assured that our bodies are going to be changed and resurrected. Verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some say among you, or how did some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? What Paul is going to draw upon now is the evidence that there is going to be a resurrection. And he does that in a variety of different ways. And you, you see, Paul had preached to these people at Corinth, so he's going to be drawing on things that he had said to them. So let's, let's put our minds together and think of some of the things that the Apostle Paul would be drawing upon. The first would be that the resurrection was taught throughout history. When we think of the Scriptures, we think of the oldest book of the Bible being the book of Genesis. Because it deals with the creation and it deals with the very beginning of this material existence that we are able to experience. But a book that was probably written before Genesis was the book of Job. Job having been one of the early descendants of Adam and Eve, uh, not directly but after a few generations, and introduced to us by virtue of the suffering that he had experienced in his life. But there is something that Job says in the midst of all of the trials, all of the suffering, all of the difficulties that captures our attention because God had made a promise to him that he understood very clearly and it was not merely that one day his health would be restored, his wealth would be restored, and his family would be restored. What it dealt with was what was going to follow when he did ultimately die. Listen to what Job said. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Guess what, Job? They were. That they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Boy, did he set the pattern for us. There is going to be a resurrection, and we ought to be looking forward to it. The older I get, the more I, the more I look forward to that. I'm, I, I'm actually looking forward just to being in heaven. And, and our soul will go to be with the Lord. And whatever the Lord has prepared for us to inhabit as a body until this body is resurrected, it is going to be just right. And I find myself getting excited about that. If this life was it, I would be living a very, very different life than I'm living right now. And you'll see why. Even Paul said he'd have, he'd have done it differently too. So Job tells us, you're going to be resurrected. In my flesh, I will see God. I know that my Redeemer lives. 
Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19, Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. That's, that's kind of a neat way of putting it. It's kind of like uh, he's putting in poetic language. Kind of the, a picture of how the, the resurrection is going to take place. I, I, I must be warped. I really must. Because the way I, I see him saying this last part, it's like we know that the Lord is going to blow the trump and the dead in Christ will rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in, in the clouds and we shall meet the Lord in the air. But it's almost like the earth is going to all over the place and bodies are going to be popping out because the earth is going to give up the dead. I'm waiting to pop out. That'll be a great day. Daniel wrote about it in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. Everybody's going to be resurrected. Everybody in this auditorium is going to be resurrected. The greatest desire that we would have here today, I'm back up, the greatest desire that I would have here today is that every person in this room would be resurrected to life. But that all depends on what you do with Jesus. You don't see him just as somebody who can solve your problems, though he can. You don't see him as somebody who can provide all the material things that you want, though he can provide for you everything that is absolutely necessary. You don't see him merely as a person who can heal your disease, though he can do that if he chooses. But what you see him as is what he truly is, a Savior. A Savior who came to pay the penalty of our sin and take upon himself our punishment. And when we trust in him, for our forgiveness, we repent and we turn away from our sin and we embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and we accept Him as our Savior, the one who can give us a righteous, holy standing before our God. That's when we trust not only in that sacrifice of Christ, but in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says we are forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future, and we're given the gift of eternal life. The assurance we have is that we will be resurrected to life. That was taught throughout history. Jesus taught it. Let me just give you the references. Jesus taught in Mark chapter 22, verses 29 through 32. When he was answering the, the people that were trying to challenge him, remember they said, there's a guy that, that had a wife. And he died. And according to the Leveret law, uh, his brother was supposed to take her and raise up children to him. Do you, all, do you all remember that? And then there were seven of them that had this woman. And then the question was, now see, these were the Sadducees. And they didn't believe in the resurrection. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to trap Jesus. And they said to him, well, whose will she be in the resurrection? <laughs> we got him. 
And Jesus said, you guys don't know what you're talking about. In the resurrection, they'll be like the angels. There's not going to be marrying or given in marriage. Something just hit me. For some of you, that may come as good news. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I wasn't looking for any amens on that one. Uh, but do it to this one. For some of you, uh, that will be a sad thing. Oh, amen, yeah, okay. <laughs> Jesus said there won't be marrying, giving, and marriage. And he shut down the Sadducees. And then later on, Jesus speaks about the resurrection. There are a couple other references here in uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. Let me read this one. And he also said to him who invited him, Jesus had been invited to a dinner. When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. There's going to be great reward along with a completely renewed body that will be designed to live in heaven with our God forever. I'll give you another reference as well, and you can just write this down. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29 also speak about the resurrection, but it also mentions there the resurrection of the condemned as well. So history, over and over again, the reality of the resurrection is being taught. Then, there were examples of it given throughout history. If you go back to the book of 1 Kings, in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah is involved with this widow and her son when there was the great famine. And you remember how they were down to the last of their food and he said, make a cake for me, a, a bread cake. And, and she said, well, this is all we have left. My son and I were going to eat this and then we were going to die because there is no more food, there's nothing else. And he says, you trust me. He says, you make this cake for me. And she did. And so Elijah was fed. But later, after they survived the famine and made it through that, the son died. And she came to Elijah. The mother came to Elijah and said, My son is dead. Are you mocking me? Why? Why did this happen? He, he could have died of starvation before. Now we're out of that situation. Now he dies. And Elijah says, Hang in there. And he takes the son and he places his body over the son. And in a short period of time, the life returns. And the son is resurrected. Now let's keep something straight. The Bible identifies Jesus Christ as being the first fruits of the resurrection. You say, wait a minute. That, that boy was resurrected before Jesus. That boy was resurrected to die again. Jesus was resurrected never to die again. Elisha faced a very similar situation with the Shunammite woman and her husband. They built a little what they call a prophet's chamber for him, a place where he could stay when he traveled through their part of the country. Her son died, and a very similar situation occurred. He was resurrected from the dead. 
Another situation occurred in the, in the life of our Savior Himself when Jairus came to Him during the earthly ministry of, of Christ and His daughter passed away while Jesus was kind of slowed down performing another miracle of healing. And, and Jesus told Jairus, don't you worry. And, and you remember when Jesus... And, and, and this is kind of cool. Jesus came to the house of Jairus and the people were outside mourning her death. And Jesus said, don't, don't mourn because she's just asleep. Now, he's not talking about the way we sleep at night. The word sleep is often a reference to death only for the believer. She is just asleep. They mocked him. That's what they're doing today. You believe we're going to be resurrected from the dead? <laughs> that's good for you, but that's not good for me. No, it's good for everybody, because everybody's going to be resurrected. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Well, it does matter. If you believe it and you believe in Christ, you have forgiveness and you have eternal life. But if you don't believe it, then you are going to be part of the resurrection of the condemned. And they're mocking today, but Jesus went in. Jairus' daughter was raised. Out she came. Peter was faced with Dorcas, also known as Tabitha, who was a, a woman of, of good works. She had done much to bless the people and they mourned. And Peter was given the authority by the Lord to be the instrument through which she would be raised from the dead. And of course, you know Lazarus. You understand what happened there. And so... Not only did the Lord tell us throughout history that there was going to be a resurrection, but he demonstrated it throughout history that there's going to be a resurrection. And then the greatest testimony of all, I think, is what we find next. It was verified by the Lord himself. He's the one that rose from the dead. Paul has just spent a significant amount of time dealing with the issue of the gospel. And what he is making reference to here in verse 12 and the verses that follow is really a reference back to what had preceded. Look up at verse 5. He says this. Well, if, if you look even beyond that, uh, let's go back to verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was now. All of a sudden, you have people who are still alive when this is being written to the Corinthians, who were witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. They had seen Him alive. Hey, you wonder if He rose from the dead? Go talk to these people. And then he starts to identify them. Verse 5. And that he was seen by Cephas, Paul, or Peter. Then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. But some, and, and here it is, have fallen asleep. Now their bodies are waiting for the resurrection. But they know. They know it's coming. After that he was seen by James then by all the apostles, then last of all he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. 
I can tell you this. Jesus rose from the dead. How dare some of you say there is no resurrection. There is a resurrection. And it's all dependent upon the person of Jesus Christ and the truth of his word. We will stop at this point because the verification of Jesus is perhaps the highlight of the truth of the resurrection. But as you're going to see as we go through the remainder of this 15th chapter, you're going to see a whole lot more about the resurrection. You're going to learn what things would be like if it hadn't happened. You're going to learn what that resurrection body is going to be like. And hopefully, you will be greatly encouraged as you look in the mirror and you say to yourself, who is that old person? Look at the white hair. Look at the wrinkled face. Look at the body that's starting to bend. Listen to the groans when that body gets up out of the chair. Watch the limping until the joints start to loosen up a little bit. And understand we're getting a new body because of Jesus. Father, thank you for this promise of your word. Amen.